For a lot of people, as well as myself, the belief in an all-loving, all-powerful, and all-knowing God gets them out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps the demons at bay and assures our aching hearts that despite the deep, deep shit we all seem to be buried in, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And yet for me, time, chance, and personal tragedy eventually fractured that way of thinking. Rather than see a divine beacon of hope illuminating a path out of the darkness, I became convinced that whatever light may actually reside at the end of that tunnel is, to quote Slavoj Zizek, probably just an oncoming train. Still, while the spiritually thirsty part of me that saw everlasting reunion with something ultimately real may have atrophied over the years, it's never left me entirely. I still take communion, get my forehead painted in ash once a year, and think very critically about the origins of everything that is. But why? In today's episode, I try to answer this question in a conversation with Marquise Kennedy. We talk about our shared struggle to cope with the loss of faith, as well as what it's like to be a non-believer living in a household of 20 ministry students. Listeners should know ahead of time that Marquise is truly, truly one of my best friends in this whole wide world. Do I want to smack him in his face sometimes? Sure, who wouldn't? But he's a rare gem who truly cares about existential and religious questions that drive human inquiry. Well, I'm going to open this blind so I can get all my light in here. So. All right. Well, I'll just delete this part. <laughs> you opening your blinds when we got important stuff to talk about. Like, you all need right, any more go. light in. I'm your light. More light. <laughs> okay. All right, three, two, one. Okay, welcome, Marquise Kennedy, to the Woo-hoo! first recording, not the first episode that premieres, but the first recording of Till It Today, <laughs> soon to be the number one podcast in the world. Uh, yes, how are yes, you doing today, Marky Mark? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful Sunday morning where I should be in church, but I'm not. So yeah, doing great. Oh, you say you should be in church. Well, let us get into that right from the start. So tell me a bit about your background theologically, uh, personally, uh, in, anything you want to add. Um, introduce yourself to us. Why would I have invited you to come on this wonderful podcast? <laughs> yeah, let our so audience for, know. <laughs> for those of you uh, who don't know, uh, Taylor and I were um, uh, both students at Boston University University. Uh, theological seminary school of theology for uh what was it 2017 2018 2019 something like that i don't know around that time but anywho uh we were both students there both uh i was getting my mdiv while she was getting her master's of arts in theology i believe um so yeah we were both uh, scholars there we were both uh like tillich like tillich a lot um and we both found ourselves in a unique situation of living in a house with 18 other um uh, seminarians, uh, and I believe we were the only two who didn't believe in a God, I think. We were the only two in the household. And so uh, that was uh, brought us together very early on. <laughs> um, I mean, household, uh, and really unique in the seminary in general, to be honest. But 
in terms of my personal background, I'm from uh, California, Sacramento, California. Uh, I grew up very uh, religious. Um, my mother, ever since I was like three years old, I think, um, mother, um, hardcore Christian. Uh, and uh, yeah, just grew up in the church all my life. Um, initially wanted to be a missionary. And so uh, I actually went to college at Azusa Pacific University in Southern California and uh, got my degree in biblical studies. Um, Ironically, Azusa specific is that what you said? Azusa specific university? My bad, I don't speak well. <laughs> Azusa Pacific <laughs> University. Thank you very much. I, I just give you a hard time. Continue, continue. Um, but yeah, so I went to Azusa Pacific University and I uh, got my biblical studies degree. Um, and um, with uh, emphasis in um, hermeneutics, and so uh. Yeah, and uh, more so also uh, New Testament uh, emphasis too. Um, so yeah, that was uh, kind of my background. Ironically enough, it was uh, my studying of scripture that kind of started to make me question the supernatural elements of it and just the um, historicity of the stories in general. And so by learning to, I don't want to say properly read scripture necessarily, but um Learning how to reach get through with a more informative eye and uh, with a more critical eye um, kind of led me into a path where I no longer believed in the um, uh, and, uh, a supernatural being element God uh, anymore. Um, and so part of me felt like I had to leave Christianity at that point, because if I don't believe in God, how can I be Christian? But at the time, I still very much cared about um, people. I still cared about, you know, spreading the message of Christ. I still cared about a lot of that. And so um, when I got to Boston Seminary, um, I was able to, I took a class um, on Paul Tillich, uh, my very first semester there. And that was incredibly helpful and helping me transition from a theistic Christian to a non-theistic Christian. So uh, yeah, that was kind of my background uh, religiously. Excellent. Thank you, Marquise. And it, for people who don't know, me and Marquise are, are essentially best friends. We're the same person, other than the fact that I'm from rural Appalachia and he is from California and I'm a, a, a weird little Appalachian white woman and he is definitely not. <laughs> uh, yes. But yeah, we often joke that we're the same person. So I have to drag him a little bit. And, yes, yes, yes. you know, the audience won't know this, but I know Marquise is from California because he never stops talking about how much better California is than everywhere else. It uh, is. Anyone who's from California will admit that. In fact, I don't like to generalize, but you know how you know someone's from California? Well, they'll tell you. You will find out within five minutes. <laughs> within five minutes. It's like CrossFit and being a vegan. Same thing. Uh, yeah, so it, it, Marquise is right. Our backgrounds are very similar. We did find ourselves in a house full of basically seminary students going into ministry. We were the only two. I don't know if we were self-proclaimed atheists at the point. We were very, very much on the fringes right? Yeah. Two seminary students who were questioning things. I uh, didn't really believe in, in a personal God. Um, for me, that was pretty hard, the transition. How was the transition for you emotionally? And going back to your conversation on Tillich and taking that class with Tillich, maybe say a bit more about how that class influenced your transition, whether it helped, um, maybe, you know, the, the professors involved in that, facilitating that mm -hmm. conversation with Tillich. How was that for you? Yeah, so to start with the first part of your question, that transition, um, that transition was difficult for me. Um, if I'm being honest, 
I would say one of the most difficult times in my life. Um, I, like I said, I grew up very religious. Um, since I was, since I have my earliest memories, I was in church all the time, um, you know, praying, doing worship. And like, I went to a church where like, they were speaking in tongues, people were laying hands and falling out. So like, I went to like <laughs> one of those churches. So like, it was like very intensely religious since I was very young. Um, and then starting in sixth grade, I went to a private Christian school and then graduated there from sixth grade to 12th grade and then went to a Christian university and then seminary. So like my life is just strongly uh, revolving around the church in every single aspect. And so um, 2016 ish, when I graduated from APU and started to um, uh, kind of lean away, stray away from uh, supernatural theistic view of the world, um, that was very hard for me, like to say the least. Um, I went just sorry for not too much for too much information, but like I went through like a very bad depression uh during that because my whole worldview was based off uh hope and like God, like salvation, Christ going to heaven, like all these things. And so it was like my my worldview had been changing throughout while I was at APU. But like by the time I graduated, a few months prior is where I kind of like really made that um, switch over. And yeah, the, the following year was incredibly difficult for me just kind of finding out who I was, what was my purpose in life, because I'm not going to be a missionary anymore. Like there was all these um, crises I was going through at the time. So it was incredibly difficult for me, um, being very honest. Um, but with that being said, uh, a year later, I find myself in Boston University and I found myself signed up for this class in Paul Tillich being taught by this professor named Dr. Wesley Wildman. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, one of uh, Taylor Mine's favorite professors there. Um, not to throw well, shade at well, anyone he's, else. <laughs> he's okay. He's, a, he's okay. For an Australian, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to throw shade at anyone else. But um, yeah, um, I, I, I will say... <laughs> I personally definitely found a sense of, um, it's going to sound weird to say, a safe space um, in the seminary with Wesley Wildman, um, considering that most, as, as Taylor mentioned, most of the other seminarians in our, um, in our household were all looking to be part of the church. They were looking to, you know, um, pre try to bring people to Jesus, all that stuff. And so um, I didn't want to go in the church. At this point, I figured the best way, best use of my degree would just be professor and teach, um, teach biblical studies. And so uh, I, I didn't find myself being in the church or wanting to preach or do any of that stuff. And so I, yeah, I just didn't feel kind of, I don't want to say I didn't feel accepted, but I didn't feel like I was in the right place necessarily um, until I met Dr. Wesley Wildman. Um, and took his class on tail again, took some other classes with him over, you know, the uh, next year too, which was, uh, it was an atheism and radical theologies. And then what was the second one we took? I can't remember. Uh, um, religious naturalism. Religious naturalism. So oh. like all, all, all these things uh, really helped with, um, really helped me kind of understand myself in this new lay I was finding myself in. And at the time, I never had even heard of Christian atheism or uh, religious naturalism. or I'd never heard of those terms ever. <laughs> and so going into this class, like, it felt good to not only find that my professor was 
more like me and his um religious beliefs but not but or but also that there was an entire community that felt this way and that was also making this transition too and so um that was incredibly helpful um and then of course the subject of the class Paul Tillich um which obviously we're beginning to do a lot on this podcast um was um how do I want to say it uh say it well that would be appreciated. <laughs> uh, if I'm, I'm being sure. honest, I would say I would I I know it was like debated, whatever. Like personally for me, I see uh Paul Tillich as the father of um Christian atheism or not theistic Christianity or any of that stuff. Um uh his systematic theology, which I had to read very <laughs> densely, um, was I would say like a, a groundwork, even if I didn't agree with everything in it, it was the framework or groundwork for how I started to understand myself. And I started to understand Christianity outside of a supernatural realm. And so, yeah, that was my experience with that. Yeah, no, that's very well put. I agree with you. Uh, that that class that I also took with uh, Professor Wildman, uh, probably a couple of years after you, actually, mm -hmm. Uh, I took it the first semester of my PhD program, but it was a very life-changing class for me. I found myself in the same boat, right? Grieving the loss of a personal God, coming from mm -hmm. a deeply religious community. Uh, same thing as you, right? Laying hands on people. Uh, mm -hmm. In Appalachia, there's, I never experienced this, but right, there's snake handling. There's a lot yeah. of speaking in tongues. I saw some of that. There's the, not to, not poking fun at anyone, but right, there's the holiness vibe where you just, mm -hmm. someone takes off down the middle of the church, like they're Usain Bolt running a marathon. <laughs> they got the spirit right in them. Uh, I'm be... so used to that. I, I didn't even know that was, I don't want to say strange, but I didn't even know that was a not normal thing in church until I went to college. I thought every church operated like that. So I was just, that was all I was used to. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it can be, I guess, you know, a very alienating experience to have this very meaningful sense of religious devotion to something, right? Um, mm -hmm. to, to some, as Dr. Wildman would say, this intensity or this ultimate experience, and mm -hmm. find yourself alienated from the tradition that mm -hmm. you love, right? Because the beliefs, uh, or the, as again, as Dr. Wildman would say, that the tradition wants you to believe a thousand impossible things before breakfast, and that's just untenable. Yep. Um, so maybe say more specifically about Tillich, how his conception of God is the ground of being. What does that mean to you? Because is, we're going to talk about a lot in this podcast. There are some terms, there's some concepts in Tillich. There's a lot of debate about, around them. There's um, not always a clear sense of exactly what he means. And for the layperson who hasn't studied Tillich in depth, it can sound like sophisticated word salad, right? So yeah. what, what does the ground of being mean to you? Yeah, so I know people are going to butcher me for this. Uh, all you scholars out there, feel free, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but for me, the easiest way for me to understand the ground of being was almost kind of like the force of Star Wars, which I hate saying because I don't even like Star Wars. But it was like the easiest way for me to understand it. Um, as like a we base forgive level. you. <laughs> as like a base level understanding of what it was. So um, yeah, so for Kellogg's work, he mentions this ground of being, which is kind of his, um, I don't want to say his replacement for God, but his understanding of God. So as we see um, Yahweh in the Old Testament and, you know, um, God in general, that uh, it's, just, it's a theistic character who is actively making decisions, actively inter interceding in uh in uh human politics you know has these wants and needs and all these different things you know um very human-like um obviously um whereas for Tillich, Tillich's ground of being 
was almost more of like a substance. Um, it was like the underlying foundation of what life is, or even beyond life, really, just the essence of everything was like this ground of being. Um, and that's how Tillich was able to um, re, I want to say, I like to use the term reimagine a lot, uh, Professor um, at UPU, um, shout out uh, Professor uh, Matthew Howdy, um, really kind of helped me um, with this term reimagine of taking things that I thought of as one way, so and all that stuff like that, and not discarding it when I found out it wasn't something that I thought, but instead reimagining it in a different light. And so that's until they went with um, his ground of being, is that was him reimagining um, the God of the Old Testament or God of the New Testament, you know? And so, yeah, the way I like, the reason I say the force for me in Star Wars is just because, like, the force is this essence that people are able to use in different ways and, like, and uh, able to, like, capture and capitalize. But it's um, it's it's kind of just this essence that doesn't have any active, you know, motivation one way or another. It's just being. And so that's what, how I was able to understand Tillich's ground of being is it, it, it didn't have any motivation. It didn't want you to do this. It wasn't sending me to hell or heaven. It wasn't, you know, uh, had no actions, had no wants or needs. It's just just essence of what is, uh, just essence of life, this essence of, um, of um, I don't want to say spirituality necessarily, um, uh, but this just essence that we as humans are able to tap into. And so that was, it's still, like I said, even, even for me, it was, I never got that far. It was, it was a, a harder concept for me to grasp, but uh, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, you're right. The uh, the Tolkien's are going to come after you when yeah, I drop this I episode. Know, I know. It's fine. No, it's fine. It's I'll, cool. I'll hold them off. I'll hold them off. You know, I'm sitting in the chair. I'm gripping the chair right now. I'm like, don't say it. Don't say it. It's not quite a substance. Well, essence is not the right word. <laughs> I'm backing off. I'm backing off. Uh, what you say, I, I I think I agree with that for the most part. I'm not going to nerd out on you. You're, you're right. Tilling does have something that kind of reminds you of something more similar to, to the force. A lot of uh, theologians, students, and professors alike I've talked to have actually criticized Tillich on this point, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that's often one of the things that people hold against him is that he doesn't sound particularly Christian at some points, mm -hmm. particularly in this conception of God as the ground of being rather than God as a being, right? God is the power of being latent in everything, mm -hmm. uh, the force mm -hmm. that um, preserves against non-being, which is very, I think, motivated by his fear of death, his anxiety around death, and mm -hmm. the kind of despair he saw in existence itself mm -hmm. after his time in the war. But let me ask you, Marquise. So this is a transitional figure for you, Tillich is, but why even hold a conception of Christianity at all without this understanding of God? Why, for instance, care about an ultimate power that we might attach the term God to, right? Like, mm -hmm. what would be the benefit of that as opposed to what other people do, which is just drop christianity altogether mm -hmm. drop faith drop it all why was why yeah. did that matter to you and why do you think tillich helped in that way yeah so i i heard two questions in there so correct me if i'm wrong so the first is why keeping christianity when no longer believing in this god figure or the traditional understanding of one so i said that first part of it which is um i kind of this is where i more directly agree with tillich which was 
there's still power in the Christian message outside of supernaturalism. Um, the, the Christian narrative story of the Bible um, is uh, very powerful, obviously. Um, it has countries, you have based their laws on it. People have gone to wars over it. People hate other people's, you know, sexuality, all kinds of things over like like it's a very powerful um message that could be used for you know good or bad, you know, whatever. Um and so and it so so one I would say one is already it's a very powerful message that could be used to motivate people. Two, it's a very powerful message that people were already believing in. And so if you're if you're trying to motivate a group of people towards being um kind to their neighbor, towards being um loving, towards um, you know, whatever thing, um, it's easy to take something they already believe in, take that message and then direct it towards whatever avenue you're trying to do instead of trying to get them to believe in an entirely different belief system or, you know, whatever. And so, um, though I was not a big fan of the church or preaching or any of that, um, I actually very much appreciate that Tillich was. Um, I appreciate that he actually was a fan of being a pastor and preaching and using grace, um, which Taylor, you are very familiar with, <laughs> using grace and um, a lot of um, God talk. Uh, Anthony Penn would call it like in his message, and so um, he was able to reimagine a lot of God talk. So the, the word God in general, the word grace, like all these different things, he took them from their traditional understandings and was able to reimagine them in a different light uh, to where he could still use these words that your average lay person who goes to church would understand, but internally he had a different meaning behind them, um, and he had a different meaning behind them and I think a different goal with them. And I think the beauty of how he preached was that his audience didn't need to know the meaning he had behind them. His audience didn't need to know this like alternate understanding he had of it. All they needed to know was all the, like all they needed to do was hear the message and then see how it was going to motivate them towards whatever that end goal was for it. Loving neighbor, you know, giving to uh, the poor, whatever it was, you know. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I thought, I just thought Tillich was really unique in that aspect of being able to take this powerful message, one that people already believed in in his community, and then use it to motivate them to be better humans um, and more loving to each other. And so, to me, that was one reason why uh, you could keep the religion, you could keep Christianity without believing in a God um, or the theistic God um, is because it's a powerful message and it can be used as a very intense motivator uh, for people who already believe in it. So that was one. Uh, second part of your question. Uh, ah, damn. <laughs> I already kind of forgot it, but uh, it was something along the lines of if you want to help me. Um, well, I was so enticed by what you were saying. I forgot. Sorry. It was, sorry. It was something along the lines of, um, uh, uh, oh, why, why believing in this ground of being? Like, why transition God from uh, the theist of God to this ground of being God? So, I'm going to be honest. This is where I start to disagree with Tillich. Um, now, I understand for him as a pastor. Um, and the easiest way, once again, to motivate this group of people is to use language they already have and understand um, and use the term God, God being the 
out of all the words used in the Christian language, God being the one like that is the most powerful um, in terms of getting people to do stuff. Whether you say God's going to send you to heaven, God's going to send you to hell, God wants you to do this or that. Like it's an incredibly strong motivator to get people to act or uh, behave in a certain manner. Um, so for him, I very much understand why he was using it. That being said, I do not think it is necessary um, to keep the language of God. Um, in my opinion, uh, it is outdated. And uh, I think God of being, or sorry, ground of being is a good transitory state. But beyond that, I actually don't find a lot of use for it. Um, I, I, by the time I graduated from uh, Boston University, I was much more comfortable just with the idea of removing God completely from uh, the Christian language um, and not not using it in my own understanding of myself as a Christian anymore. Um, just because I, I didn't find it necessary, I found the ground of being concept to be a little too confusing. Um, and even if you do, or even if you are able to gain some understanding of it, um, I didn't find it useful in any sense to um, motivate. I didn't find it useful in any sense for to understand my own theology. Um, it just, it, 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 yeah, to me, it caused more issues than it solved. Um, and so I found it easier just to remember to uh, remove the whole God concept almost altogether, similar to Thomas Altizer, who was a Christian atheist, um, where uh, you could still keep the Christian message. You could still keep um, the idea and power of like the Holy Spirit uh, as like a motivator. But uh, for him, he just completely removed that, basically the concept of God um, from his uh, theology. And so I kind of more so move towards that direction to be honest <laughs> no you're i mean a lot of scholars would agree with you uh that we for instance that we might be able to, to keep a, a concept like the ground of being but to call that god as Tillich does is you know yeah. disingenuous maybe maybe altogether misleading right um we, a agree. lot of scholars will say right we have a very specific there's a very specific referent attached to the concept of god and when you tell people that they're worshiping God only to find that that you're not worshiping the kind of being that you typically ascribe to God, right? That, that can be sort of confusing. Some scholars say in my own work, right? I wrote my dissertation on grace. Um, I pull the same move. I say, I love what Tillich's doing. However, I, I do think that this fidelity to the framework, uh, which includes fidelity to a kind of construct we call God, is not altogether helpful in the contemporary world. Uh, at the same time, I think you're right that Tillich is tapping into something, which is that theology saturates our culture. Theological mm -hmm. concepts are, are pretty inescapable. So even if you leave the church, the church doesn't necessarily leave you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you feel bad. You feel you have a bad day. You're in a crisis. You're thinking about the meaning of your life. A lot of the times for people in the West, especially people who were raised in Christ Christianity like we we are, the solution to that is going to be saturated in Christian language, even if it's not supernaturally loaded, right? Even if we don't really think we're going to go to hell or we don't really believe in a heaven or we don't think that salvation lies in a, a hereafter. We're still thinking about concepts like salvation, forgiveness, grace. We still think about the person of Jesus as a kind of moral exemplar. Uh, we use the biblical narratives to drive our... our our life and our pursuits and, and to give our give us some structure in terms of how we describe the contents of a meaningful life. So 
Dylan is really on to something there. So I think your, your assessment in that way is spot on. But let's get out of the church for a second um, as Lovely. we start to conclude. I know, right? I One time my first year, I showed up to church and all of our friends from Theology House looked to me very surprised. And I said, what's wrong? And they said, well, we expected <laughs> you'd burst into flames in this place. <laughs> Uh, to yeah. <laughs> to my delight and perhaps their misfortune, I did not burst into flames. But there's still time. I think I'm just getting worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's get out of the church for a second. So, I mean, Tillich obviously has some merit for a Christian audience. He's a self-identified Christian. He did not like the terms naturalist. He did not like the terms atheist. He would have, you know, he'd he'd fist fight us, Marquis. He'd take us out into the parking lot and probably try to kick our ass over this. What we're saying mm-hmm. wouldn't like it one bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he might still be relevant to people outside of the church. So, what would you say to people in our situation, young people, uh, kind of maybe have a past in the church, but are not really Christians anymore or not really, you know, supernatural theists anymore. What would you say to them about the continued role of theology in the world? And particularly maybe, you know, since this is a Tillich podcast, the continued utility of Paul Tillich. Mm -hmm. And not just because we need this podcast to get views. That'd be great. (laughs) But (laughs) outside of the pod. Yeah. No. Um, First of all, I, as much as you would hate hearing this, I very much consider Paul to like the father of modern Christian atheism. So he could hate that if he wants, but uh, it's what I consider. Um, so the useful usefulness of um, of this uh, naturalist Christianity um, or naturalist religion, it's useful outside of the church. Um, I would say, once again, kind of agreeing with you in the sense that our whole culture, especially like here in America, like our whole culture is just soaked in Christianity, like soaked in it. Like during the like Trump era, you know, like he was using so much language around Christianity and the Bible just because he knew so much of his base, cared so much about it, you know, and uh, it's just it's it's. It's as I once, as I said again, it's just, it's incredibly strong motivator for people, and so um, for me, it's it's hard for me to answer this question solely because by the time I had like left the seminary, I think within the next year afterwards, I'll be honest, I even stopped identifying as Christian anymore um, because I had gotten rid of the concept of God already. I had gotten rid of uh, my want to do work in the church. And then I was no longer surrounded by Christians. Uh, I, I, so it was just kind of like the language and all that stuff just wasn't very useful for my life anymore. Um, and I found myself able to promote the Christian values I cared about without using the word Christian anymore. And so um, to me, I see the main use of, of Christian of like a, of a naturalist Christianity outside of church I see the main use of that as a way to speak to Christians, to traditional Christians, I should say, um, as a way to communicate uh, with them. Um, Once again, because so much of our culture is still entrenched in the Christian language, um, to be able to speak with them on their level, on their terms, with the words they use, um, and then be able to motivate them with that way is incredibly strong. Um, I know that uh, for me, I 
I was part of a online ministry where I was writing blogs my first year out of APU. And once again, at this point, I was you know, transitioning to Christian atheism. And um, the blog writer, uh, who was a family member of mine, but the blog, but the, the person who owned the ministry did not know that I was uh, atheist by any means. Um, he was very much a um, traditional um, uh, Christian. And uh, I was able... I was very happy with myself that I was able to write articles that I felt were very meaningful to people and help people in their life while using God language um, without actually promoting uh, traditional Christianity in terms of, um, you know, obedience to a God or, you know, this or that. But I was able, in fact, to kind of code myself, I guess, in a way, uh, code to atheism with God language, but still promote values that I saw were good within Christianity, um, such, once again, loving neighbor, giving to the poor, taking care of the orphan and the widow, um, you know, all these different values um, I found very useful. And a lot of people, unfortunately, um, when they're just completely drowned in Christianity, um, they're not able to hear or see anything outside of that Christian marriage message narrative. And so if you try to bring something from the outside, it automatically gets blocked off. And so for me, being able to speak, you know, Christianity or whatever, allowed me to be able to enter that um, area and be able to like motivate people within that area. And because once again, because I came from the church, there's a lot of people I care about and love dearly who are still in that realm, a lot of people. And so being able to talk on their terms and speak with them and all, and things of that nature was able to keep my sense of community with them. And I think in general, as humans, completely stepping away from religion and all that, community is of the utmost importance. Um, being able to find a community, being able to have one that you're comfortable in, and being able to have one that um, uh, agrees with your missions and values. And um, as someone who still very much cared about the narrative of Christianity in terms of what it could do and motivate people, um, the language was very useful for me to uh, still stay within the community and not be ostracized completely. Whereas most people who don't learn religious, natural, religious naturalism, most people who don't learn about the ground of being, most people who don't know about Tillich, once they stop believing in God, they have nothing else, nothing else. They have no way to talk to the church. They have no way to communicate with their friends or family members who are all about God or the church. It's, it's kind of like you're forced to find a new community. Whereas Tillich and, uh, kind of Tillich and theology was able to keep me in the community, though my um, uh, mindset around God was changing. And so that, so unfortunately, <laughs> that's kind of about it. That's where that stops. Because uh, if I'm being honest, and I know, Taylor, we have talked about this a lot off of uh, the podcast, but, and I know, Dr. Wildman, if you're listening, you're going to hate this, but I don't see listening. much. This is the best podcast yeah, in the world. Of course, he's listening. Of course, he's listening. Of course, he's listening. I don't find much use for religious naturalism outside the universe, outside the university setting, or outside of a transit transitory state from Christian to non-Christian or religious to like non-religious, however you want to state it, or theistic to non-theistic. Um, religious naturalism, Tillichian theology to me, was all the transitory state. Um, it, it, it helped like ease that transition from uh, belief in God to not a belief in God. Um, but ultimately, outside the university, 
I hate to say it, but it, I just I really don't think it has a ton of use um, solely because there's the main motivator when it comes to Christianity is the fact that like there is this being that loves you immensely, you know, um, and cares for you and is there for you and like has your back and like protection and, you know, things are going to be all right because of it and all these different things. Like when I talk to my mother, like that's how she talks about God. That's how she interprets Jesus in her life is, um, is someone who is watching over her, keeping her safe, keeping her family safe, keeping her children safe, you know, all these things. And so when you take away a God, um, uh, or like a God that cares or loves or has any of these abilities for a lot of people, like, oh, there's no more motivating factor. Um, cause although a lot of people don't, wouldn't obviously admit this, what they care about isn't God. What they care about is what God gives them. God gives them that, uh, security, um, that they're going to heaven or whatever. God gives them that comfort with dying or loved ones dying. God gives them that, uh, that comfort of though you might not know where your life is going. God does, you know? And so once you take away this theistic notion of God, all that goes away. There's not a way of keeping that. All that, all those things go away. And for a lot of people, that is why they are in Christianity. And so, though I was able to use Tillich theology as a transfer period and like a way of staying within the community, after a while, I just kind of didn't see any use for it outside of the university setting where I needed to talk about God in this like manner or outside of a church setting. Um, but just like in the quote unquote real world, uh, I just did not find use for it. So for me, um, yeah, it, it's kind of just high level college talk, <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, that I just, I, I didn't see, I saw a lot of use for it in the university setting, um, but just not, not much out as a transition. Sorry. You heard it here, folks. Tillich no longer matters. Don't study <laughs> theology. Don't even read about theology. Don't you dare open a book. It's a waste of time. From Marquis Kennedy. That's a direct quote. Glowing review for the Tillich Today podcast. I'm glad I had you on. I knew I could count on you to yes, make course, the podcast course. riveting, truly. I'm you. And you knew what I was going to say. <laughs> I knew you were going to get under my skin. As well, I knew, as you do so, so very, very well. <laughs> no, let me press you for a minute, just in, in closing, because yeah. we're about yeah, yeah. to, no, we're do, about do. to get to, to our wrap up point. And I, I kind of need you to shut up at this point, right? Because you're going to say something that makes the Tillich Today podcast <laughs> sound like Tillich should have forgot about it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, right? I'm I'll, funny. Give I'll give you credit. I'll uh, give you credit. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of those puns in the future, folks. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, let me press you for a minute, though. Like, mm -hmm. surely you've taken something from Tillich other than just a transitional kind of philosophy to get you outside of um, outside of your crisis with the collapse of your faith, right? I mean, surely Tillich has something to say about kind of, you know, the existential anxiety that we live with, um, the despair that we have to contend with in terms of the fact that we're going to die, in terms of the fact that you know, we don't always know where we're going. Like, surely that says something for you. Surely, surely it matters beyond just transitioning out of a faith, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I'm going to press you in this way, like to think about the fact, and we've had this conversation before, that there is a distinction in some ways, not a qualitative distinction, better or worse, but there is a distinction between how people like me and you, who identify as atheists on some level, 
uh, engage the world as opposed to like the average, you know, Reddit atheist user, mm -hmm. right? The, the person yeah. has a very kind of materialist, very reductive view of everything. Um, mm -hmm. Surely, right, Tillich helps us grasp some spiritual dimension, some depth that is really not discussed outside of theology. Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't that have some kind of import even to atheists who have abandoned their faith, even to non-Christians? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I would definitely say, yes, we are drastically different from your average Reddit atheist who I would say is more anti-theist than anything, where they're just strongly bashing and hating any sense of word religion or whatever for whatever trauma they've had in their life. I'm not getting at all that. But um, I would say, yeah, I, I do agree with you. Tillich does uh, say something to that of this, this, once again, I'm going to use the word essence, um, this there 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 there's this level of um he uses the term best i guess what else i'll say ground of being uh there's this level of ground of being that i do think exists i'm not going to say it exists outside the material necessarily but it's something that i don't i feel we don't all necessarily understand where it comes the the emotion of how we care about people, how we care about the universe, why we love others, the 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 emotion and sense of spirituality behind coming together as a community, um, behind the joys of you know um, friendship, love, all these things. And yeah, you're right. The like anxiety surrounding death, and you know what happens to us as you know humans, what happens to the people we care about, like um, and like how do we understand them in light of death? You know, like. All these things, um, I think I don't I, I would never say atheism solves them because I don't. To me, atheism doesn't give any doesn't really give any answers. Um, uh, it's not this like, oh, I reached I went from Christianity to atheism and now I'm like done or with the stage or whatever. Like, no, um, that's why I think Tillich was incredibly useful is because um, even in my uh, new atheist worldview, um, I was able to still tap into meaning in life. And meaning in community and meaning in relationships. And so though um though I wasn't seeing things in uh absolutes or any or um how do I don't want to say it, uh I wasn't seeing uh God in this sort of, you know, gonna protect me or care of me or care for me or love me uh by any sense. Um, it was still very useful to see how to develop a sense of um how to develop a sense of uh, understanding uh, when it comes to loving one another um, beyond God um, or traditional understanding of God um, to learn a sense of what it means to all come together as one and be one and like uh, um, unify all the and grace really grace which once again you could attest to a lot more than me um uh are all terms and understandings and ideas that i think are highly useful outside of the church um i think my argument more so when it come when it came to not needing religious naturalism or to expression christianity was that i do think you could find all those concepts outside of the church but once again that doesn't or outside of christianity but that doesn't mean that you need to get rid of christianity by any means um i like i said i still found it useful for very long, even as a Christian atheist, to use these terms and understand the world in this way. It was just at a certain point, I find it not, not as useful for me. But 
maybe I will step back a little bit. I do think it is useful for those who do want to stay within the church or who for those who do uh, want to stay within, like I said, like the university setting maybe. Um, but a lot of this talk and language, once again, for your layperson, like I think of my mother, for example, like she just goes to church and listens to her pastor. She doesn't, you know, she's never read a book on theology. She's never, you know, learned any of these like terms or things like that. And like for people like her, like how are we going to uh, transition them? And like, you know, she's a mom, she's working full time, all these things. How are we going to transition, transition them into um this stage of religious naturalism like that's where i was saying i just don't really see it that useful but for someone who has already done all that work and all that learning and all that education to be able to uh, reimagine a lot of these concepts yeah i think it's would still be incredibly useful um just as a way of understanding yourself uh within a community and as a way of like i said motivation i don't know if that answered your question but no, that was that was a great answer, Marquis. Thank you. The show thanks you. Tillick today thanks you particularly. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll have, in fact, maybe I'll upload this to r slash uh, Reddit and watch the whole platform explode. I'll crash the website, Marquis, <laughs> with this podcast alone. I'll bring that <laughs> Reddit uh, subreddit to its knees. <laughs> All right. So thank you for your time. Uh, this has been a good conversation. Hopefully, right, the audience at home uh, takes some, the two people who are listening so far, hopefully we're, we're up to more than about two by the time this episode drops. Hopefully we're at about seven is what I'm aiming for oh by, by this time around. You got me and Tori, so. Uh, <laughs> oh, Tori, our, our other best friend. This is becoming a, a, a podcast full of inside jokes and inside references, unfortunately. We're going to try to prevent that. In the no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I wouldn't expect anything Less of you, Marquise. I, yeah. You're not a good person. I understand that. I'm friends with you anyway because there's still a Christian part of me that wants yeah. to to save me out to the net to save you, to bring you to salvation, bring you back, to bring you to Christ. I'm so, my brother you. in Christ. Uh, before we wrap up, can you give people at home, particularly people who haven't read a theology text, people who were not in a seminary program like we were, mm-hmm. um, what's a good book? to start them off if they're interested in Tillich? What's a text you read that you think is pretty accessible and that's very helpful to people who are not operating with an exclusively Christian framework? All right, so two two different questions. If uh, people who don't read or are into theological kind of like study uh, to introduce them to Tillich, I cannot give you a good answer on that particularly because my main reading of Tillich was the systematic theology, which is a no issue requirement for a layperson. <laughs> I know Tillich had a lot of other readings um, that are much more for lay people. I was I was never um, uh, um, I would I never I read them, but like I was I was never like uh, studying those as much on his systematic theology for the point I was at in my life. Um, those other readings are probably much more helpful for those people for people. I just can't attest to them um, by any means. Now, other part of that, what readings or book uh, books would be good for people who are who might want to look into a non-theistic Christianity or just non-theistic uh, religion in general. Um, my first recommendation would be, uh, why Christianity Must Change or Die by Bishop Shelby Spong. Um, 
that was one of the first books for me that uh, in a very like layman's terms, anyone could read this um, of understanding why Christianity can't stick with this original supernatural belief and move into the 21st century and still be a viable option for understanding life considering all the things we now know about the world and humans and all these things. Um, but also, once again, not getting rid of Christianity, just changing it or changing your understanding of it. So um, that would be one I would recommend why Christianity might must change or die by Shelby Spong. Um, another I would recommend is the Gospel of Christian Atheism by Thomas Altizer, RIP. He died actually while we were at Boston University. Uh, sad. Um, yeah, he died. Uh, uh, I think it's actually why we we're taking our atheism and radical theology class. Anywho, though, um, yeah, so uh, where he gives a very comprehensive understanding of um, Christianity without God in general, and then also why he believes Christianity must move beyond the church. And in fact, he argues that the church has become a roadblock to Christianity, and the church has become the enemy of Christianity, um, and why we must move past it. And so uh, those are uh, two, whereas John, Bishop John Toby Spong very much still believes in the church, but just once again, needs to reimagine itself. I know I use the term reimagine a lot. But um, so those were two books that I would highly recommend to people, lay people who kind of just want to get like a, just a little general understanding of um, Christian atheism or Christian naturalism. All right. Thank you. Those are good suggestions. I didn't know this was going to become the uh, uh, Thomas Althizer Today uh, podcast. So thank you for that. It's been, it's been great. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, for helping me mm -hmm. out, being my first recording again. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know when this episode will drop or if it will drop. We'll, we'll see. Episode, I'll, I'll see like, I'll see how you make me feel. If you've been a good friend in the next few weeks, then maybe I'll, I'll put the podcast out there and elevate your status in the world a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh but otherwise, thank you for being a guest. Uh, thank you for all your good thoughts. And hear it till it today. We will see you. Ready? Are you ready for this, Marquise? We will see you till it tomorrow. Great Bye, one. everybody. Thanks, Marquise. Bye-bye.